Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Lauren Pratt on the show. Lauren has been called the drought-tolerant queen of the San Joaquin. She is a landscape architect and designer. This episode is chocked full of advice, suggestions, and different philosophical approaches to how to think about your back and front yard. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and Baker will take us there. Fresno's back! Lauren, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Oh man, this is a hard one because I am a foodie. So I have been like an heirloom missionary for a long time and just recently started branching out. So heirloom and made are kind of my go-tos always, but then we just tried limelight for the first time a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. And then I've also recently become addicted to Moto. So Moto Deli down across from Fresno High is like my new favorite lunch spot. Yes. And I think people are thrown off because they actually price their sandwiches to the quality of their ingredients. Absolutely. Uh, unlike other places, you know, and I think a lot of people in Fresno got used to the the, the deli D standard was kind of what they thought they should pay for a sandwich, right. which... You know, I was just talking to someone the other day about this, about how, you know, food prices are going up and they, they were saying something about like going out to breakfast and it being pricier than they expected. But it's the reality is right that we should be paying more for our food because, you know, yeah. I mean, if you go to the grocery store and my wife and I are definitely guilty of this, we're those irritating people in Whole Foods that look through all the ingredients and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're the worst. Um, but uh, long story short, you know, do you want the worst possible ingredients to go into your food? Because that's what it is if you buy, you know, lower price food. But anyway, right. back to Moto. Uh, yeah. What do you like to order there? So my favorite is the point break as a salad. So I actually Ooh. get the tuna salad on the salad and it's phenomenal. Okay. I am, I'm on it. It's been a while since I've been there and I need to go back because I, because I had like been there once. Red onions and pepperoncinis on it. And it's just a good combination. So Sounds good. fabulous. Sounds yeah. fabulous. Yeah. If you haven't been, I, I highly encourage you to go. It's, it's kind of hidden there uh, right across from Fresno high, right around the corner from gorilla and ampersand and right. making really good sandwiches. Um, so I brought you on because I really want to talk about landscape design. I think it's such a cool thing. And every one of us or most of us, I mean, some people that live in apartments don't have to think about it, but there's, you know, you have a balcony, I'm sure that's kind of your landscape. Uh, right. So we all have this space that exists um, in our world that we need to design and hopefully design in a way that's uh, life-giving and uh, brings beauty into our life because those things are really important for our mental health. Um, so... Uh, let's talk though about your background. So you did a degree in interior design in Southern California. How does interior design relate to landscape design? Aren't those things just different? Um, I would say not as much as you would think. Uh, all of the same principles apply. And I have been kind of shocked at how the two have just been so symbiotic. I mean, I know how to lay out a space because of my space planning background and scale and color and function and form, all those things are still going to apply inside or outside. Okay. So what are some of the basic principles uh, that guide you as a designer when you walk into a space? Um, my first questions usually have to do with how you're using it or how ideally you would like to be using it, because I feel like that's 
that's what drives most of my decisions. I tend to be very practical. I can design something that I like all day long, but if it's not something you're going to use, it's like, why would I give you a pizza oven if you never eat pizza? Like, mm. you know, I love pizza ovens, <laughs> but that doesn't mean everybody needs one. No doubt. So, so you start with practical. Um, does that always match what your clients want to start with? Um, I think there's a lot of digging down to figure out what their motivations are. And I do think that the, the surprising thing that happened, not only because I started a business right before it, but COVID kind of made everybody reevaluate how they wanted to use their space because all of a sudden we're all home and we're all like nitpicking things. Well, I don't really like how this is working or all of a sudden I have a home office. And how is that going to function and change things? Am, am I going to be working at the dining room table or do we need to dedicate a different space? Um, and so there was kind of this shift that really played into my strengths because I'm like, yeah, let me show you what we can do outside so that you can establish some outdoor living space, give yourself somewhere to go mentally even for a break, <laughs> like move yourself from inside to outside and let's see what we can create. Mm. So without falling guilty to the trap of overgeneralization, you would say that COVID has made people more practical about their landscape design? I think so. And maybe appreciative. You know, we yeah. all had to deal with what we had, unless you were moving, obviously. There were there was a lot of that too. But um, yeah, that's maybe an oversimplification. But when you're spending so much time in a space, all of a sudden you're reevaluating how it's working for you. Do you come in with some clients and you feel, you know, it's that line that people say beauty is pain, like they're living in a space that's maybe not functional to them, but it looks nice. And so you have to help them think, well, let's think about how we can actually use this space a little better. Um, I would say usually it's the opposite I, because certain people are going to like a beautiful, unfunctional space. <laughs> like they're not, they just want it to be pretty. And so if it isn't functional for them, they don't have as much of a problem with it. But I, I do always try to kind of tweak things to make things more usable, more user-friendly, um, like I said, more personal. Okay. One last question on the client side. So do, do you, so I, I imagine people have a lot more kind of set opinions when it comes to the interior of their house yeah. um, than the exterior. Do, do people have... Uh, preconceptions about what they want or do you kind of guide them that way um I feel like there's a lot of emotional ties to things whether you realize it or not I mean I I get the most hilarious comments sometimes like I I want a pollinator friendly yard but please don't put anything in there that would attract bees <laughs> wow okay well that's just they, you just need to read the dictionary then I think yeah just like what <laughs> Okay. Or like, you know, my grandma's house had a lot of roses, you know, we don't want any roses or colors. People inside and outside are very, very specific about colors sometimes. Like I hate the color yellow. Please don't put any yellow in my yard. Huh. It's interesting. Like you learn a lot about people. And like one of my favorite grasses is pink muley grass. And people are like, pink, pink is out. Like no pink, please. Hmm. <laughs> don't add any pink. Fascinating. Well, yeah. and that's, you know, you're kind of working, you're, you're guiding, but also giving people what they want. And that's the balance right. of being, you know, a, a kind of a consultant slash I'm helping you in a direction. Right. And that's, right. that's the trick of the job because at the end of the day, if someone wants something hideous, 
Yeah, that has happened. Or there's like marital therapy that happens where I I have to constantly marry the two in their design ideas because the husband will be ultra modern clean lines and the wife's like, I want English country, you know, cottage overflowing. And he's like, everything has to have a border and I want rocks. (laughs) You're like, okay, well, we have to figure out how to make everybody in, in a couple happy too. Yeah. So it seems like you need, maybe should get like an MFT degree to kind yeah. of, you can do, do two for one discount, you know, I'll, I'll look into one. that for sure. <laughs> it's probably time. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, the specific, uh, climate of Fresno, which is incredibly hot and arid and, time, yes. you know, so, and you know, it's getting hotter yeah. apparently. Um, and so, there's water rules, there's all sorts of things that probably influence how you think about design. So can you talk about just kind of the background of our climate, climate change, all those kinds of things, and how it informs the decisions you make for people? Um, I think one surprising thing that people don't realize is how many rules we're tied to, especially in commercial design. Um, a lot of people will ask me, you know, why do you give people grass islands or the postage stamp look? And I explain, like, we have to. That's called the water, um, well, Lance, what is it? Emwilo. Municipal water. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking right now. Landscape ordinance. Anyway, we have to follow Wilo, um, which basically means all of our sprinklers, overhead sprinklers have to be two feet off of any concrete, like hardscape surface because they don't want overspray. So then you end up with these borders along sidewalks and driveways. But then the issue people have is like getting their lawnmower over. <laughs> yeah. like if you, it just, it's kind of interesting how we've created a problem inside of a problem. But um the reality of our water use is, yeah, we should all be trying to reduce. I mean, I love English gardens and that look and the East Coast lovely lush front yard. But realistically here, we just shouldn't be doing stuff like that responsibly. It doesn't make sense. So you're pushing people to use turf and things like that. Yeah, it's tr- it's tricky, though. Um, I wish that we had a better turf alternative like a native grass um that would be a a lower water use that looked pretty it doesn't really exist yet a lot of our turf substitutes are made for like the coast in la so we'll you'll see some a few of my clients that have been very well informed have said well why don't we use this and i'm like because it's fresno it's too hot it's not going to look good here um you're going to end up watering it more than you think Mm. Um, but then like the problem with synthetic also is it is just a plastic blanket over the soil that's killing everything underneath it so Mm. for the microbiome and the soil health it's not the best if you're filling your borders and beds with pollinator plants and trying to do better that way then you can kind of balance but yeah there's it's a tricky it's a tricky thing right now (laughs) yeah and how do you think about drought tolerant landscaping? I mean, there's, you know, I, I have an image in mind, having lived in Southern California of these front yards that have like basically rocks and there's like various kind of shrubs and it just, it looks okay. I mean, it, it's not, you're not excited about it. Um, have you found, <laughs> have you found ways to incorporate drought tolerant principles to landscape design in ways that you like? I have. I mean, that's kind of been my forte 
is I think I'm pretty well known now as the drought tolerant landscape lady. Hmm. So I like I that do. title. You need a t-shirt. Yeah, I should get another t-shirt. <laughs> um, there's also landscape queen of San Joaquin. That's my favorite. Ooh, song. I like a yeah. rhyme. That's great. <laughs> I'm big on the rhymes. Um, but yeah, like I like to kind of cram things in together for variety. So I will space things in groups of three to five typically, or create waves of patterns with grasses and plants. And then I do like, like pops of color. One of my favorite yards of all time is a drought tolerant front yard in Kingsburg. And it is so bright and colorful. And I just, once, once I saw all of it growing together, I was like, okay, I, I nailed that one. That one works really well. Because I think people have this expectation with drought tolerant, it's going to look kind of like a patch of the Mojave Desert, right. you know. And I and I think that's in some ways accurate because you do need to adapt to where you live. Right. Um, but I think, like you said, there's ways to do it where it's not just rock or like a, a shrub surrounded by rocks. Um, right. Yeah. This but I think it's actually, outside the box, right? Is yeah. that is it hard to persuade people in that direction in some capacity, or after they see it, they're like, oh, I get it, and this can look nice. Not as much anymore. I think more and more people are becoming open to it. And the state is doing a really good job. I mean, the California Native Plant Society has started a program called Bloom California. And so they're pushing to get a lot more native plants in nurseries. And that's been the problem. Like I have more access to things than residential clients obviously would. Um, so I can get things from growers because um, I'm in the know, <laughs> have a, an account and things. But for just a regular homeowner that's looking to reduce water use, it's been kind of tricky. And so now they're really trying to get more native plants in nurseries. And the focus on drought tolerant, it's only just begun. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. It's not going anywhere. I do, do you have trends are going to change, but the the core problem has come and it's not going. Do you have like um, a public enemy list of non-native non-drought tolerant plants that you wish would go away like mentally yeah yes yeah, yeah. i can't what? say though because i'll offend somebody yeah yeah that's, <laughs> it's understandable I, and uh, I have designed yards with plants that i'm like this is not good <laughs> okay so we'll, if you are interested in her list she will send it yes. with an, uh in an email with an indie <laughs> that you cannot say it out loud um an anonymous a group yeah can you talk about why it's important to have native plants for just a few minutes? Um, it's just beneficial for the the native pollinators, but it's also things that are just made to grow here. I mean, it's in the at the very core of this is let's put plants that are from here in the ground. Like let's mm -hmm. stop trying to put something that grows in London in Fresno because it's just not going to work very well. Yeah. I mean, the, the case example is, is what you said before, like grass, you know, like grass doesn't right. grow, you know, Bermuda or whatever. It doesn't just grow here. You know, no. we, we brought it here, we stick it here and then we have to overwater it. And, right. You know, well, and, and it started as a, as a, a symbol of wealth. I mean, it was a status Symbol to have a lush giant Victorian front lawn. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's a lot of history there. I mean, I love a front a front yard as much as anybody, but nobody's using them anymore. That's yeah. the first thing I tell people. Functionally, how often are you really going out and sitting on your front yard grass? 
Like, yeah. If you want to live in Downton Abbey, you have to move to Downton Abbey. Exactly. And I'm not going to live in Downton Abbey. All right. So our next section is called overrated versus underrated. I'm going to throw a bunch of landscape things out at you, some okay. people, some parks, some food even. Uh, oh. You can tell me whether you think they're over or underrated. Okay. okay. All, All right. right. So the first one, uh, DG, over or underrated? Oh, gosh. I'm going to kill myself for saying this. It's overrated. Why is it overrated? I have it in my backyard. I just got rid of mine and switched over to pea gravel. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, get, sell, sell me on why I should switch. Um, we had, so our backyard is a, a big rectangle. We have a pool right in the middle and we had two sides of DG and we just had it traveling way too much. It was going into the pool and then on our sidewalks that surround the pool and it was just too much of a problem. And then weeds still are coming up in, in and around it. So I went pea gravel. I like the look of it more. Um, but I do, I still use it constantly. I just did a whole front yard with natives and drought tolerance covered in DG. So, <laughs> so it's an, it's an aesthetic decision. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, I will look into that cause I have a lot of DG next okay. one. Um, minimal color palettes over underrated. Mm. So choosing like three colors and your whole backyard is the three colors. So focusing on minimal. Yeah, I am a little bit of a minimalist. I will say that's underrated. I think it is, it can be really impactful when you just keep it simple. Okay. So not having like just red roses over here and then purple and just right. everything just popping, it's popping, a little popping. Chaotic. Yeah. So, it, so just kind of for you, it's like a visual thing. It's hard to like, feel like your environment's calming. It's more just kind of popping different directions. Yeah. It just feels more organized to me, I guess. And I do, I use color heavily. That's one thing that I feel like is the most underrated skill of landscape design is people just picking plants and putting them all together and not thinking about the color. And color for me is probably, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's a driving force for sure. Mm. Okay. Next one. Uh, Woodward Park over underrated. Under. I love it. Why is this kind of, you know, it's just I, know. Of I don't care. Rolling I hills. Okay. <laughs> From a landscape designer perspective, why is it underrated? Oh, I mean, don't say that. Personally, it's underrated. I oh, okay. take my kids there. We go for walks and we go down to the San Joaquin River Conservancy. What is it? Conservancy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah those trails are wonderful. The trails. Like that's, that's one of my favorite things when the weather is nice just to go and walk. Do you like how Woodward Park is designed? Not necessarily. Okay. Well, I feel like there's definite room for improvement. For so sure. if you were if you were the superintendent of Woodward Park, what's one change you would make? Oh, accessibility for sure, and then the flow. It it is very disjointed in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of yeah, hard. Unorganized to... space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Next one. Uh, Mina's Pizza over underrated. Over. Why? I hate it. You hate it. Wow. That's the, that's the strongest comment I've heard from someone. That's I'm sorry. Okay. I, I am actually, I'm going to give this one a caveat because I'm gluten-free and dairy-free. Mm. Um, I have like autoimmune issues and diet problems. So I am at the store with the labels and doing all of that. So I go like really high end. I have recently found an Essos and that's my favorite right now. Okay. Next one. Okay. Linear, linear design over underrated. Linear as in like modern? Yeah, just very clean, straight lines. Everything follows a grid in under. backyards. Under. I mean, it's, it's 
that's never going to go out of style. The modern look, the mid-century, the modern, the ultra-modern, it's just clean. I, I okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. So you prefer that to more kind of, not I want to say disjointed, more flowy patterns? Um, yeah. I mean, per personally, yes. I have done a lot of flowy, meandering path type things too. Okay. Um, next one. Uh, privets, over or underrated? That's probably an over. Why is it overrated? I mean, just standard. That's the thing. There's there's nothing wrong with a privet, really. It's water use is okay. It's just a standard hedge. It's fine. Yeah. It's yeah, but there's nothing to get excited yeah. about. Like I have yeah. some privets on my back fence and I just kind of look at them and I say, okay, you exist. Yeah. About exactly. all you do. Um, great. Thank you for existing. You're uh, so great. Next one. Uh, garden centers of big box stores. Ugh, yeah, no. Uh, so overrated. Yeah. What's what's wrong with them? Um, the mass production of plants is definitely affecting the diversity. For one thing, you're getting things that are made to grow other places. You're not going to get uh, local plants as easily at a Home Depot as you would at like a evergreen local nursery. Um, one of the things that I I feel like it's a strength of mine. When I first started, I just went to the nursery every weekend and I got to know the staff and I got to know what plants were there. And I think if you're interested in plants or design of any kind, that's what you need to do. You have to figure out what's in season when, you know, your local plants that are available, what grows here well. They they are a wealth of knowledge. And the big box, it's just not, it's not helping anybody. Are there certain things you can get at a big box store that for on your perspective are okay? Um, soil. Yeah. Okay. Stuff that's in packaging, basically. Pots. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so just, uh, you know, go there for some of your supplies, but not necessarily your plants. Garden gnomes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, if you have, have you had, we don't have to go there. Yeah, uh, I don't have any, I, garden, have. I don't have any garden gnomes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not planning on it. Okay. Uh, just a couple more on this section. Uh, succulents okay. over or underrated. Under. Under. Why? Don't they just die because it's too hot? No, keep them outside. People need to stop putting them inside. That's the biggest problem. Over really? Watering. Oh, yeah. They love neglect. They're so, so easy. So they can handle direct sun, though? Not, not direct, but like on a patio with some shade, you water those puppies once a week and they're fine. Good to okay. go. And they just proliferate. I mean, you can get so many more plants out of those. And you can steal other people's too, right? And just replant them. So yeah, it encourages criminality the too. Um, next one, uh, pergolas over underrated. Under, love them. Okay, sell me on a pergola. Why should I have one? We live in Fresno, you need shade. Okay, but don't they have like the, the it's the, I mean, you put a cover on it or you just have the wood slats that go across the top? Oh, there's uh, endless options. There's metal, there's wood, there's Roman shades. I mean, yeah, customization. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, next one. And last one, hardscape. Do people need more hardscape in their yards? Mm, oh, I would say that's definitely a, a function question and a form. Like if you're, if you don't have any, then you need some, but I am not a fan of concrete jungles either. I like edges and interest and some trees. Mm, yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Um, so you have a John Muir quote on your website that I really enjoy. Um, could you read us that quotation and tell us, um, what that means for you and for your design philosophy and how you think 
about your job and what service you provide to people. Okay. It says everybody needs beauty as well as bread, places to play in and pray in where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul alike. I feel like that's that's kind of the core, the core of what I try to do for people um, with that functionality, giving them somewhere to feel inspired. Um, I know for me, being outside is always the best medicine, like getting out, going for a walk, going for a hike, going camping, going to the beach. Like that's just when I feel the most stress release and the most myself. Um, and I've, I've always been that way. I just, as a kid played outside all day. And now if I get too cooped up at work, I need to go outside and take a break. (laughs) So I do feel like that. I mean, you can't walk into Yosemite and not feel inspired and that you're in a special place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so just a few more questions before we close up with book recommendations. Um, one of them being um, just talking about some tips and strategies for people, you know, if they can't afford to hire a landscape designer and they're just kind of working on their own, um, maybe talk about a few kind of suggestions or directions you would push people if they're just looking for kind of like a verbal consult, you know, and they just want to make their, make their yard a better place to be in. Right. I mean, the first step is organizing your space, um, figuring out what your priorities are. Like I said, how you're using it, how you would like to use it. And then I usually design in zones. Um, One thing that I took with me from interior design is just Uh, flow and traffic patterns, thinking about how you're moving through the space. Don't, you know, (laughs) a common problem people do is like stick something in a corner, like, oh, I want a fountain. So I'm just going to go stick it in the corner. And like, no, you want that somewhere where you can hear it and use it and enjoy it. You don't want to just put it in a place. Like you really need to think about the functionality of it and drawing, you're trying to draw yourself and your family and your friends, anybody outside. Like I always want people to be drawn to their outdoor space. Can you uh, pick one project that you've done in Fresno that really got you excited and what, what it was about that particular project that um, just brought you joy? Um, I was lucky enough to work on both Riverstone and Tesoro Viejo at my previous job. And those were two really exciting projects because it was from the ground up and you know, coming up with community spaces and parks and um, just the the neighborhood flow and designing it, like I said, for how people are going to use it. But personally, as Pratt Landscape Design, probably one of my very first projects was um, with a pizza oven. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. You're just hungry. That's what I know. I, I just really like pizza and I really miss gluten in my life. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's my hashtag. I have a hashtag thing with all my projects and it was pizza, wine and feeling fine. And it was like a very Napa Valley, Mediterranean kind of vibe, but they were just ideal clients. Like I couldn't have asked for a better client and they let me soar. I mean, they loved my ideas and they let me run with it and they trusted me. And we had kind of a back and forth relationship where they would say, well, we don't really like that, but what about this? Um, but overall that's probably the closest to my original design 
like my first draft, like it, it was maybe a second revision and they've put it all in and it looks amazing. They have a big arbor that runs the back of the fence and a big seating area that's built in with a pizza oven in the corner and it all overlooks their pool. And it's, it's just gorgeous. You walk back there and you're just immediately relaxed. All right. We're going to close with two things. Uh, one, some book recommendations. Um, I'm sure there's some places you can point to people for design ideas um, or even, you know, people to follow on Instagram too, might be helpful too. Cause that's where a lot of, uh, at least my partner's design ideas come from. And then secondly, uh, just briefly talk about uh, your landscape company and uh, the services you offer. Okay. Um, books for landscape. I mean, Sunset Western Gardener is a staple. That's one that every person should have if they're interested. Um, I love Garden Studio Design out of Southern California. So that's an Instagram at Garden Studio. They do great work. Um, I take a lot of inspiration from interior designers. So I love like Amber Lewis. Um, she's a LA based lots of, there's just, there's so much talent here and it's hard. Like I Amber interiors, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have some of that stuff in my house for sure. There uh, you. Yeah. You're fancy then. Oh, you're fancy, fancy. Yeah. You're fancy, um, yeah. yeah. So, but yes, I, I, my partner loves her, but I love her too. Oh yeah. She's amazing. That's who we all want to be in the design world. She's mm -hmm. the epitome. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I appreciate you doing this. And I think a lot of people listening are going to be excited and inspired to start thinking about their space differently and thinking about it more creatively um, and thinking within a structure, which is uh, what I gathered, which is just, you know, kind of following some basic principles and then allowing yourself to create a space. that's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks Lauren. Best. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time.